Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog, All Together, at altogether.swe.org. Looking for more information and data on women in engineering? Head over to research.swe.org and review the groundbreaking research that SWE has been conducting. SWE's research efforts include reporting on women of color in engineering and how community colleges may play a role in getting more women to graduate with engineering degrees. You can also check out the annual SWE Literature Review in SWE Magazine's State of Women in Engineering issue. Welcome to the SWE Diverse Podcast Series. I'm Roberto Rincon, SWE's Associate Director of Research. And I am Anne Prusik, SWE's Director of Editorial and Publications. Today we're going to discuss the SWE Magazine State of Women in Engineering issue, which will be released in April to correspond with SWE's congressional visits, scheduled for April 14th. In this issue of the magazine, we're focusing on the latest research on women in engineering. It includes our annual review of the social science literature on women in engineering and STEM, plus public policy and SWE's own research from the past year. There's been a lot of it. Today, we're sharing a brief look at some of the exciting content that we're publishing. We'll start with the biggest event of the past year, COVID and its multitude of impacts. Our cover story is titled, Examining the Impacts of COVID-19 on the Engineering Pipeline. Yes, and it has a companion article, Don't Stop Me Now, Even the COVID Pandemic Couldn't Halt STEM K-12 Outreach. Both of these articles take a big-picture look at what has been happening to women in the workforce overall, to women in engineering and STEM in particular, and other points in the engineering and leadership pipelines, including K-12. And I must say, we have developed a very cool pipeline graphic to accompany these articles. It is a cool graphic. I know that the term pipeline is somewhat controversial, but you can't deny that people know exactly what you're referring to when we reference the leaky pipeline. We're losing women along the way, not just what we consider the point of entry in the K-12 years, but we have a retention issue in engineering, and we have few women making their way into the executive suite. The leaky pipeline may be a simplistic way of expressing this loss, but it helps you visualize the continuous loss. It's a common metaphor used in education, and leadership and business, etc. And here we are, we're using it to help us understand the impact of COVID-19 on women's pathways in STEM. Every vulnerability in the pipeline that existed prior to COVID has been magnified by the pandemic. The implications are staggering. I think we've all heard the sobering figures on women's unemployment, but some of the information and context provided in this article was still eye-opening. For example, according to the research from McKinsey's Global Institute, at the start of the pandemic, women made up 39% of global employment, but by July 2020, they accounted for 54% of job losses. Now, that's across all sectors of the economy, right? Yes. And aside from industries that were hit hardest by the pandemic, which tend to be in the service and entertainment sectors that do employ a high proportion of women, The other driver has been the household and caregiving responsibilities that disproportionately fall on women. That was already the case, of course, especially in the United States, where childcare is expensive and less available. But with schools moving online and many childcare centers closing, 
it became an impossible situation. Yes, and so what was already challenging for many families, juggling work and childcare, became so much greater due to COVID. You found that in the SWE surveys too, didn't you? Yes, we did. We discussed the surveys in the issue of the magazine, and I do want to bring them up later. But let's go back to the cover story and the STEM pipeline. So women who did have the option of taking a leave of absence or who were compelled to quit their jobs also short-circuited their careers and their future earnings. We cited a calculator from the Center for American Progress, which is a public policy research and advocacy organization. According to the calculator, a 35-year-old woman who's making $80,000 a year and takes a leave from the workforce for, say, five years, can expect to lose $197,000. That's $197,000 in retirement assets and benefits if she goes back to work and retires at age 67. Mm, That's huge. Those aren't the types of things people consider when they have to make a decision in the moment. Women in those situations really put themselves on a lower earnings trajectory for the rest of their lives, don't they? And it's not just the earnings, but career advancement. Yes, and I found this really interesting too. The U.S. Census Bureau wrote a report that showed working mothers who lived in states with early COVID stay-at-home orders and school closings were 68.8% more likely to take a leave of absence from their jobs compared to working mothers in states where those closures happen later. That really shows how many variables there have been in ways the pandemic has impacted individuals. For example, for women of color, data show that Latina and Black mothers have heavier care burdens than white mothers. And according to the Women in the Workplace report, Latina mothers are 1.6 times more likely than white mothers to be responsible for all childcare and housework. And Black mothers are twice as likely to be handling all of this for their families. That report's published every October by McKinsey & Company in partnership with LeanIn.org, so the information's pretty current. And the National Academies just released a consensus report on women in academic STEM fields. That's S-T-E-M-M because it includes medicine. A portion of the report discusses the additional challenges that women of color face. Our cover story article looks at both the women and the workplace report and the National Academies report, among others. While all of this may sound gloomy, aren't there some potential silver linings and possible positive outcomes from the situation we find ourselves in? Potentially, yes. We're seeing some indicators that workplaces are adopting some of the policies that they were somewhat forced to put into place because of COVID. For example, we've heard that companies like Ford and Target are moving to flexible options for employees, even after it's safe to go back to the workplace. We don't know the details yet, but this could be a move in the right direction. Another part of the pipeline is K-12, through which has obviously been hit hard by the pandemic. The reason I love the title of our article, Don't Stop Me Now, is that despite all the disruptions and difficulties, so many individuals and organizations quickly develop creative ways to engage students virtually. And I want to take a moment to tout SWE's achievements in in this space. Our High School Leadership Academy, or SHILA, saw a whopping five times more girls participate from around the world this past year than compared to our in-person event the year before. Pivoting to a virtual environment may have been a bit new and challenging, but you can't deny that it's also opened up opportunities. Yes, we saw that in our SWE Next clubs because they have also seen growth during this time, especially because conducting activities virtually means we aren't limited by geography. 
But let's move on to discuss Sui's COVID research. If you remember way back in March of 2020, things had closed up in the United States and no one knew how long it would last. I doubt many of us thought it would last a year, but we were already seeing the impact on the economy and on students, many of whom spent the remainder of the school year online. In April, we decided we should see how our members were experiencing this pandemic, specifically how the pandemic was impacting their education and career. Didn't you send your first survey out in June and with a high level of responses? We had a great response to our survey and to our report. Interestingly, a lot of interest from our members in India. So we followed up that first survey with one focused on India. Then we also added some COVID questions to our annual survey of our membership in the fall. So taken together, we're able to get a fuller picture of the impact of the pandemic. We could also generally see whether what women had been concerned about in the summer had actually played out, particularly among students who were dealing with a lot of uncertainty with regards to graduation plans and job prospects. It had to be a hard year for students. It was challenging for everyone to pivot to a virtual environment so quickly, but especially for students, so much of the college experience includes those in-person connections on campus. Exactly. But if you remember, as the fall approached, it was clear that most colleges were not going to be holding in-person classes. So in the fall, less than 30% of the students we surveyed had actually returned to campus. This aligns with what other researchers have seen. More concerning still are the inequities that have come to light during this time. A survey by the Strata Education Network found that almost half of Latino and Black students had canceled or changed educational plans, almost double that of white students. And it's easy to see why when we look at the responses from our SWE survey. Students of color in our survey not only expressed more concern about the impact of the pandemic on their graduation plans, but they also reported spending more time on household chores than their white peers. That makes sense. If you're unable to take classes on campus and have to stay home for the semester, you are more likely to be expected to share in the family's household responsibilities. Depending on the amount of help needed, it could really cut into your ability to focus on your coursework. Add in the financial uncertainty, which many families have been dealing with during this crisis, and it's likely that many students have had to make some difficult decisions to cut back on classes or just skip a semester entirely. Exactly. And students in India have also been dealing with this uncertainty and also expressed concerns about delayed graduation. For those students who had recently graduated or were working, every single one expressed concerns about the possibility of losing their job because of the pandemic. Can you imagine the stress that new graduates have been experiencing during this time? Yes, it's an um, extreme amount of pressure. The reports cover both students and professionals, and I encourage our listeners to look at the article in the magazine and the reports as well. You can read and download the reports from research.swe.org. That's research.swe.org. Let's turn our attention to the literature review. SWE's been conducting annual reviews of the social science literature on women in engineering and STEM overall for nearly 20 years, publishing them in SWE magazine. Isn't that right? Yes, we began this back in 2002, which gives us a really long-term perspective on research trends, changes, and ongoing issues that women face. In addition to an extensive bibliography, the authors provide summaries and commentary on the most interesting and relevant research, plus recommendations for further research. This year, the literature review team examined close to 200 peer-reviewed articles, 
books and papers. I'd say that this year's literature review highlights a few important points. First, we continue to see researchers focusing on understanding why more women are not choosing to study engineering. There appears to be general agreement that it's not because they aren't capable of doing the work. It's more a question of fit. Do girls and women feel that they are a good fit for engineering, for STEM in general? And do they believe that they can find fulfillment with a STEM career? But even earlier than that is whether girls are interested in STEM to begin with. One study found that girls lose interest in pursuing a STEM career as they progress through high school. This was a fairly robust study looking at almost 15,000 high school students. What they discovered is that fewer girls expressed interest in pursuing a STEM career as seniors than they did when they entered as freshmen, while boys were more likely to develop an increased interest in STEM careers over that same time. As in prior years, there are researchers still trying to understand why girls express less confidence in their math and science abilities than boys, even as many researchers find no significant gender differences in ability or test scores. Studies like this highlight how critical those school years are in our efforts to increase women's representation in STEM. Very true. And while there's a great deal happening in schools that can support a student's interest and confidence in STEM, researchers also found that parents are very influential in their children's STEM aspirations. But I want to talk a little bit about an emerging area that I'm very pleased to see more research on. So much of the research to date focuses on girls, Girls lower STEM confidence. Girls lack of interest in STEM. This year, we saw research focused on boys. The fact is that to create a culture shift that's required to make STEM education and workspaces more welcoming to all, everyone needs to be involved in making that change happen, not just the women. That's right, Anne. And it requires recognition by boys and men that a problem exists. It really does require attention before women enter the workforce, or even college. The gendered stereotyping begins early. This is such an important topic. We actually focused on the importance of male allies in our 2019 issue of the State of Women in Engineering, and we have a sidebar in this year's issue on the topic, too. I hope that we continue to see more research in this area and best practices for reducing gender stereotypes in STEM. Of course, given that most gender equity researchers are academics themselves, We see a lot of focus this year, as in past years, on women in STEM college programs, as well as women faculty in STEM. It's just a much easier population to study than, say, women engineers working in the private sector. Yes, and much of the research on college students in this year's literature review is looking at women's STEM self-confidence and self-concept, very similar to the issues that researchers look at among girls in K-12. However, one interesting thing to note is that given how much research has been done in this area, we are seeing some contradictions in the research that our authors explore in the article. For example, there's one study that found that women were more likely than men to mention stereotypes and low self-confidence as reasons for the underrepresentation of women in STEM, while another study found no evidence of a difference in confidence level between men and women. In that study, instead, Women spoke of their experiences with discrimination from their professors. There's also the issue of fit, which we mentioned earlier in the podcast. In past years, researchers were focused on whether women are drawn to more people-oriented or community-oriented careers, 
ones in which they can clearly see ways in which they will be solving social problems. Often, engineering is not seen as an occupation that helps people. Basically, we have a messaging problem. This year's literature review authors found conflicting research on whether addressing this problem really helps attract more women into engineering and other STEM fields. So it really sounds like there's still a lot that we don't understand about the factors that influence women's decisions to choose and stay in a STEM major in college. While we have a lot of research happening in the college space, one area which is in dire need of more attention is in the engineering workforce, specifically in non-academic settings. There's just very little research being released on gender and diversity issues among practicing engineers. The research that our literature review authors did come across focused on issues like belonging in STEM, or more like frustrations associated with feelings of exclusion, bias and harassment in the workplaces, experiences with imposter syndrome, and the infamous chilly climate that is often mentioned when we talk about STEM workplaces. We also see research on how being married or having children can potentially impact a woman's career. For example, one study looked at a large national sample and found that women, particularly college-educated women, were more likely than men to experience occupational mismatch, basically to be overqualified for their positions. And it was worse for women with children. Researchers suggest that this occupational mismatch is one of the reasons why the gender pay gap exists. That's so interesting and so frustrating. But there was one thing that stood out to me in this section of the literature review. A study of working women in STEM found that women were reporting that they tended to confront stereotyping and harassment directly in their workplaces rather than trying to adapt to better fit in. This is a really positive development, don't you think? It really was heartening to read. Another positive development is the increasing attention on intersectional identities. We're really seeing more attention being paid to the fact that women are not a monolith. Not only are we now seeing more research on the intersection of gender and race, but we also see research on the intersection of gender and disability status and gender and sexuality. We have so much to learn about women's experiences in STEM, and growth in this area can only help us increase our understanding of the challenges women face and how we might be able to help address those challenges. We are also seeing more research on gender equity in STEM coming from outside the U.S. It's really fascinating to see those studies and compare, isn't it? We can learn so much from what others are doing to increase equity in STEM. As SWE has grown internationally, it's also an opportunity for us to gain a better understanding of the unique challenges that our global members are experiencing. Absolutely. I hope that we can also continue our own research efforts with our SWE global members. It's important work. Yes, it is. Before we end this podcast, we should mention that the issue looks at some of the major policy changes that are happening in the U.S. under the new presidential administration. We've been following the changes affecting Title IX, as well as the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Executive Order that the Trump administration issued in the fall and which was rescinded on President Biden's first day in office. This is especially timely considering the upcoming Capitol Hill virtual visits that are part of SWE's public policy efforts. The articles provide important background information and report on, on the Biden administration's International Women's Day announcements concerning Title IX and sexual violence. You can read about all of this in SWE's State of Women in Engineering issue, which will be available in early April at magazine 
magazine.swe.org. Again, that's magazine.swe.org. And also as a print-on-demand option in the SWE store. On behalf of Anne and myself and everyone at SWE, thanks for listening.